fall to the side. Let your name be glorified in great and powerful ways. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I, I want to ask, would you consider yourself to have a welcoming home? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question, right? Like when somebody comes to their house, do they feel loved? Do they feel cared for? You know, all that stuff. Um, you know, does your welcome mat actually say welcome or might it say, oh, it's you again or leave? Or does it come with, you know, strings attached? Like if you forgot the wine and the pizza, come back later or Beware of the dog, but you don't even have a dog because you really don't want anybody to come to your house, right? It, there was a comedian, uh, what's his name? Uh, I forget, a long Italian name. And, you know, he said, you know, it used to be that, you know, the doorbell would ring during dinner time and everybody would go like, oh, we have guests. Oh, you know, like your mom would get the food out and bring her food. But now when the doorbell rings, everybody's like, what? who is that? Who in the world would come to my door? It's like a threat almost, right? It's crazy. It is crazy. Um, yeah, as some of you know, I lived in Indonesia for eight plus years and, and Indonesians are known for their hospitality. They are just sweet, sweet, sweet people. You just, just really, you go to the poorest house in the neighborhood and they will bring out all their best stuff and just, you know, like overload you with anything they have in their house. And you'll often see when you walk through the front door, you'll see the child run out the back door to go to the little water room, the little store on the corner to get more food for the guests. You know, they do it kind of like sneak out and they sneak back in and, and, and they stall until the, get, the, the food comes. Um, there was a missionary family that uh, <laughs> we lived with, uh, lived in the same town with, and they were big people. And I don't mean they were, they were uh, fat. They were big. They were, he was like 6'4", like 260, 280. He was like, he was like uh, David, uh, uh, what's your last name? Christy, David Christie. Sorry, dude, I'm blank. Uh, he's like his size. He's just a big guy. The wife was also tall, and, and, um, and their kids, they had two boys, young boys, but big boys, and they were voracious. You know, they could eat, like, anything you put in front of them. They just, like, could put it away. And they went to a neighbor's house one day when they first moved in, and they sat down, and, and the tradition is that when you sit down in the front room, they bring finger food and coffee and stuff like that out, and they started eating. And they just kept eating plate after plate after plate of food. And they weren't really cultured yet in, in, in Indonesian etiquette that you eat, but you leave a little bit on your plate to say that you're done. You don't want any more. And, you know, with Indonesian's income, you don't really want to eat too much and all that kind of stuff. It was just not polite. So, but this, this family just kept bringing food out like crazy all the time. And these guys just like, they thought it would be impolite to refuse the food. So they just kept eating and they could handle it. You know, they were big people. And so it, it's, you know, it's like literally a shame for an Indonesian not to make their guests feel welcome. But what this, what this American family didn't realize was, and they, they, they realized that after they left the house, the, the food was gone. They had finished every morsel of food in the house. Right. And, um, they left the house and they walked past the backyard. They didn't realize that this family actually had a wedding plan for their son that day in the backyard. And they had eaten all the wedding food. It was awesome. <laughs> Not awesome, but it was funny. I hope that that Indonesian family is laughing about that someplace. But they're probably not. Remember those giant Americans that ate all our food? But <laughs> welcoming and being welcomed. It, it, there maybe there's an art on both sides of, of, of that, right? Uh, sometimes we have to learn our appropriate boundaries. Like we don't want to be creepy, 
when we're welcoming as a church. We want to be appropriately welcoming. You know, we, want, we don't want to hover and all that kind of stuff. I remember visiting one family in Ardmore, and I, and I walked into their house, and it was stark, man. It was like everything was, like you knew, if you like turned a vase, it would be turned back in a second. Like everything was in its place. It was spotless clean, right? It was just so you know, together. And I knew right away, I, you know, from the conversation that it was stilted, it was awkward. I didn't feel welcome. I wasn't allowed in any other part of the house, you know, all that kind of stuff. You, you, you go into somebody's house, oh, it's a beautiful house. I would love to see it. There wasn't like, oh, let me take a tour. They were like, well, sit here. I'm like, uh. so I, I just didn't feel welcome. So I didn't go back. I've been in many of your homes, you know, and I've, I've always felt welcomed in your homes. Uh, many of your houses are, uh, not that impeccable. <laughs> They're not that well put together. Now, mind you, that's not a criticism. I like a house that feels well lived in, right? I know that when I go to the Culp's house or the, the house's house, there is a family named the houses here. Uh, the house's house or Mark, actually, who's leading worship, he, he's Mark House. Or, or the Thomas's house. I, I know I might have to dodge a toy or two. You know, I, I know that, you know, sometimes I'll hear, hold on, Jason, hold that thought. Grady, why did you hit your sister? You know, apologize. Or, you know, Addie, you let go of Blaine's hair or whatever. You know, I just that kind of thing happens. And it's, there's all these little interruptions. And I might have to navigate like toys on the floor. And that's all fun. I love that. That's, that's family fun. I know to be a good guest uh, when I go to the Wong's house, that I have to take off my shoes at the front door. I know, sorry, thinking about you guys, like, ugh. It's an emotional morning. Um, I, I know when I go to Donna and Dave's house that I'll get a cappuccino. She's got her cappuccino machine. She loves, she loves making cappuccinos for people, right? I know that when I go to Todd Hall's house, it's gluten-free. It's gluten-friendly, right? You know, I just had a gluten-free brownie back there. That was a nice thing. Thank you, MJ. Um, but, you know, all these things, I love visiting your homes. I just love it. it, it I always feel welcome. That you guys are good welcomers, right? Uh, and church should be a welcoming place, shouldn't it, right? My brother-in-law, Steady, you may have met him before. He is Zambian from Africa. He moved here for college and got married to my sister-in-law and, you know, stayed and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, He's a wonderful guy. He's just loud and big and fat and round and fun. And he wouldn't mind me saying that. Um, he's, he's one of those guys that's just big, but he, man, he has all the energy of like a 20-year-old. You know, like it's just so strange. Um, but, he, you know, when he first went to his church in rural Pennsylvania, uh, one guy, now I, I want to preface by saying it was one guy, not the church. One guy said to him, don't you people have your own place to go? Now, that wasn't very welcoming, right? And a lot of times we say those things and we're like, well, that church is not welcoming. Ah, that's not really true. There's 199 other people there that didn't say that and did welcome him well. And, you know, the story ends well. I, see, I love Steady because he's not phased by that kind of stuff. It bothers him, obviously, and it should bother him, and it bothers me. But, you know, Steady didn't scream racist at the guy and get all mad. He, he laughed and he hugged the guy and he said, you know, by that response, I think I'm right in the right place. And, you know, and they became friends and that guy uh, ended up loving Steady and, you know, learned some things from Steady. And that was, that was great. You know, Steady was just like, God bless you, brother. Um, 6-8 seeks to be welcoming, right? Not overbearing, but welcoming. And for very good reason, which we look at today, and that was a long introduction to 
a shorter sermon. Uh, Ephesians 5 says this, 5 verses 15 and 16. Be very careful then how you live. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, right? Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, don't, the days do feel kind of evil, don't they? I say that with a smile. It makes you feel a little better. But, you know, you can't open your mouth these days without being accused of some, you know, heinous cultural faux pas. You know, everyone's being labeled a racist or a homophobe or an Islamophobe or, a, or transphobic or whatever it is. The church is being sort of undermined and, and, and divided over issues of, of social uh, justice or issues of sexuality or politics, you know, friendships are being divided over whether or not you voted for Trump or not, right? It's just, it's a hard time for the church. All pastors that I talk to are really like feeling this weight. You know, and I was thinking the other day, whatever happened to all the disgruntled, you know, postal workers, right? Like 20, 30 years ago, it was the postal worker that you had to worry about shooting up. That spirit just stopped. You, know, you never think about that when you go to the post office anymore. Now it's happening in our schools. It is a crazy, crazy, crazy time. It's mind-numbing. It's mind-numbing. I know we all feel it. There was a shooting yesterday. And you may not have even paid attention to it anymore because it's so commonplace. It's crazy, right? But all the while, all in the midst of all of our craziness, God acts strategically and, and sovereignly to reach people. God is still working, still, still working, right? He's a strategic God sending people on mission on purpose to draw others to himself with an intentional plan to accomplish his mission. And we've been talking about that for weeks. We studied all that in our last series, right? At the, at the center of his plan is us. In all our shapes and forms and sizes and all that kind of stuff. It's us, the local church, the individual believer. He's got his call upon us. And and we're called to live out this great commission, which is his last command and our first concern, right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You should be memorizing this. If you remember, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Philip in the scriptures in Acts chapter eight, Philip is a prime example of God's strategic mission, Right? If you remember in our last sermon two weeks ago, how we studied Paul and his companions being led by the Spirit of God to witness in various areas, to go here and not here and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Paul and his companions and Philip were all obedient to the call of God upon his followers, right? The story goes like this. I thought it was worth a read. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch and an important official in charge of all the treasure of the Kandake, Kandake, Kandake. I know somebody's going to text me and say, you mispronounced it. Don't bother. I'm just going to go through all the possible whatevers. But suffice it to say, it says she was the queen of the Ethiopians, right? The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it, right? My son just texted me. 
Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked, how can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent. Could somebody grab me a bottle of water, please? Anybody back there? Um, As a lamb... Uh, before its shear is silent, and he did not open his mouth, and in his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Thank you, sister. Everybody give it up for Kathleen. Um, the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or somebody else? You know, I just talked to somebody this week, and they, they were like, People don't know the basics. No, we, the, a lot of people don't know the basics about the scriptures anymore. You know, it, like they need people to explain things, right? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and he told them all the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Now, verse 37 isn't in all documents, but I like what it says. So I left it. If you believe with all your heart, you may, Philip said, right? And the eunuch answered, believe that, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38, he gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So Philip's in Jerusalem. It's a simple story, right? Simple story of God's leading. Philip's in Jerusalem. Suddenly God calls him to go south to Gaza. Uh, he goes... And as he goes, he, the Spirit tells him to stop and, and, and talk or, or be near this Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, a, a person, by the way, that is very different than him, right? Uh, at the very, and at that very moment, he's reading Isaiah. And Philip shares the gospel, leads him to faith, baptizes him, and the eunuch goes away praising and rejoicing God, right? So not only is Philip's encounter strategic, you know, for this one guy, this one soul. But that eunuch was from a region which had been untouched by the gospel message. And so he went back and he told all of his friends and family and neighbors about the gospel and he paved the way for Jesus uh, to spread the good news uh, all throughout Ethiopia. And, And if I'm not mistaken, as church history has it, or church tradition has it, this guy was the start of the church in that area. So he did some work. And God used strategy to place Philip and this eunuch together. And this new believer spread the gospel to all these unreached people groups in that area or to this unreached people group. So not only is God strategic, but he is sovereign, ordering and determining the steps of every person, right? As it says in Proverbs sixteen nine, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. As we see with Philip, God uses his sovereign hand to place people where they need to be. Do you think about your life like that? Do you think that God has put you someplace for a reason in every moment? 
Paul experienced this in the jail in Acts chapter 16, and I won't read that story, but uh, it's when, when uh, God caused an earthquake to throw open the jail doors and, and the jailer, you know, is going to kill himself, <laughs> you know, and Paul explains salvation. And because of the sovereign act of God through sending an earthquake, the entire household of this jailer comes to Christ, right? And, and what he may have seen as a tragedy before God or, or a failure on his part God uses to bring people to himself, right? There's a reason for it. Now, if we believe this, if we really own this and believe this, recognizing that God moves, God's spirit moves in, 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 in ways like this, then we know that every new guest in our church is brought there that day for a reason. If you're new here today, God bless you. You're the most per- important person in the room right now. And I don't mean to put you on the spot, but we're talking about you, <laughs> right? Remember, as God promises to provide for his people individually, how much more will he provide for his corporate church, right? Uh, Philippians 4 says, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of, glory, uh, the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So God knows what we need. He provides for us. God knows what his church needs, and he provides for his church. He'll, he'll send people to us. He'll send the volunteers. He'll send the, uh, the lay leaders. He'll send the pastors. You know, uh, We need to reach others. Someday, you're not going to need me anymore. You're going to need somebody else, and that person's going to show up, right? So we need to pay attention to, our, to each other, but also to new people. To the people we meet, not only in this room, but out there, right? We need to pay attention to people around us. Knowing that God is both strategic and sovereign. That guests are extremely important. We have a command to love those that God puts in our path, right? Those that God puts in our path. Loving others sacrificially is a sign of true faith. True and real and active faith right? First John 3, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the, this is a hard one, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Jesus says in John thirteen thirty five, by this all people will know that you are my, my disciples if you love, uh, if you have love for one another. I thought I took it off. Um, I'll put it over there. You know, as we love one another in the church, others see that we truly are following Jesus. He doesn't put conditions on us for his love for us, right? So our unconditional love for other members, other people around us, in the church is indication of true and abiding obedience to God. We don't have to agree on everything to love each other well. First Peter chapter 1, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. It's got to really mean it, right? For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Amen. The Bible gives specific instructions for the foreigner 
or the stranger among us as well. My brother Steady, when he first showed up, right? Telling us to love strangers as ourselves. And by doing so, we're actually loving God. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Not the foreigner residing among you must be kind of treated well. No, they, they got to be treated as a native born, as one of your own, right? Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Remember, right? I am the Lord your God. This is how I operate, God says. In other words, remember what it's like, what it felt like to be new and to be different, (laughs) to be out of place, and how good it felt when that one person embraced you and said, I'm glad you're here, right? Those little things mean a lot. They welcome you in. That that means the world. Watched a video last night of an uh, ex-white supremacist guy who had left the... He was a kid. He was like 13 or 14 years old and was just kind of lost. And a white supremacist came up and just started talking to him. Welcomed him. Nobody else did it. Next eight years he spent in that movement. Because somebody paid attention to him. It goes in the negative too, doesn't it? Right? Loving others through practical ministry is a picture of the gospel, right? Love isn't an abstract comment, uh, uh, concept. The, the Bible instructs us very clearly, through love we should serve one another, right? Galatians 5 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. In other words, don't go about being all self-centered and self-whatever. you know, whatever. Get out and serve people. Love people, Right? For the entire law is uh, fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Have to talk louder. If you, now listen to this. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Some of us are biting and devouring each other these days. Okay, that's a little much, right? That's a little much. So I say, he says, verse 16, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit which, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever. Now listen to this. You are not to do whatever you want. You are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. All right, this is getting long. Uh, But Paul instructs the Roman church to outdo one another in showing honor, right? You know, make it a competition to love each other better, right? And this love becomes expressed through serving each other. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, right? Right? In fact, we've even been given gifts, certain spiritual gifts, to serve others well. 1 Peter chapter 4, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. <laughs> as, it's just going to keep going slower and slower. 
<laughs> right. As we, uh, I, could, I couldn't hear you. There's bells out there. No, I'm just kidding. But as we practically show love for fellow members and guests, and we model Christ to each other. We model Christ to the world around us. Matthew chapter 20, not so with you. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what does it look like practically to love others? What does that really look like? Do I really look like Jesus in what I'm doing with my life? You know, simply said, it it looks like Jesus, right? Like that's what practical loving others looks like, who served and gave his life as a ransom for many. But we sometimes misinterpret all that, don't we? Oh my, it's never been this long. What is going on? Seth, just go up there and hold it. Hold hold the bell. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Jesus didn't compromise on issues of holiness and purity in his service towards others as it pertains to their sin. He didn't compromise in all that, right? Since he wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been good for them for him to do so. It wouldn't have been loving for him to bend the rules so that they could do whatever they wanted. <laughs> A little punch. <laughs> That was great. (laughs) Wow. That was lovely. Um, But it wouldn't have been good for them. It wouldn't have been loving service to them to bend the rules, to let them get away with whatever they want to do, right? He loved and he cared for people really well. And like the woman at the well, he confronted them on their sin. He said, go and sin no more. He confronted that behavior in their lives that wasn't good for them and maybe wasn't good for the other, other people around them. It wasn't good for society. And they made their choice as to repent and find freedom and follow him or to stay in their bondage. The young, rich young ruler walked away. This woman changed at the well, right? In 1 Peter 1, we heard that we... Are we, we purify ourselves, or we are purified maybe, a better way to say it, by obeying the truth, which leads to a sincere love for others. I read that verse earlier. First John 3, we heard that those who are the children of God do what is right. Galatians 5 told us that, that we live by the Spirit and not the flesh, and in so doing, we fulfill the command to love our neighbors as ourselves. So how do we know what is right? Or what is of the spirit and what is of the flesh? How do you know that? Is it our instinct? Is it our experience? Is it our feelings? Is it culture? No, it's none of that. We know what is right as Christ knew what was right by obedience and purification of God's word. And God's word is revealed to us from outside of ourselves. It is not conjured up internally within ourselves. God speaks his truth into us. 
That's why the scriptures are so important. And we obey out of gratitude for the freedom and the life that his truth brings us. Which means it's loving. It is actually loving to speak God's truth to other people, even though they may disagree with it. Now, how we say it makes a difference, right? You've got to say it kindly, say it with love, but be clear. We are purified by it. We reflect God in our obedience to it. If, if something feels right, but it's not commiserate with the scriptures, it's living by the flesh. It's not right, no matter how strongly I feel right about it. Feelings are must be subordinate to truth. Feelings must be subordinate to truth. It's the old faith train. You know, you don't see this too often anymore, but you may have seen it before. Feelings follow fact and faith. And eventually, when I submit and I'm obedient to the word of God, my feelings fall in line with my faith, with the truth, right? we would do well to give up the notion that if we just love well, everyone is going to be amenable to our message. They're not. But that that doesn't stop me from loving and welcoming people well, as best I possibly can, right? So we welcome guests with open arms, but we invite them to gospel transformation in life, right? As Galatians 5 says, you are not to do whatever you want. None of us are allowed. Freedom doesn't translate to to do whatever I want. Freedom is a change of lifestyle, right? Because whatever we want is not always good for us and not always good for others and is not always honoring to God. So the message of church is come as you are, but leave transformed. Come as you are, but leave transformed. Because Jesus' life is the best for everybody. You know, shaping a welcoming church in this day and age can be a challenge, to say the least, right? Satan has orchestrated, I believe, the conversations to be killed before they even start. Everybody gets stopped at the what, and they never stick around long enough to hear the why, right? Why should I I be transformed in this way? They never understand that. They leave before we can get to that conversation. And in such an environment, the church struggles, right? And we struggle with entropy, don't we? Like the older a church gets, the the harder sometimes it becomes to, to see the benefit of being inviting and welcoming new people into the room. Complacency like a weed grows in some churches over time, and it takes all of us in our own personal lives, in our own spiritual formation, being devoted to that so that we are all purified by the obedience to the truth and we are prepared to love well. I just made up a rule of life with 10 other people in this room recently. A rule of life is just a, you know, a, a list of things that I want to do daily, weekly, monthly, biannually, and annually to keep me spiritually healthy, spiritually and emotionally healthy. Because if I'm not, I'm not loving you well. I'm not honoring of Jesus. I need to keep these things going in my life, right? I, as pastor, it's important that I get with Jesus and I'm, in, I'm close to Jesus so, so that I don't beat you up, right? You know, opening up to others 
means we give them the opportunity to hurt us, which is part of the sacrificial call of the gospel, isn't it? As Jesus gave his life, we do so willingly in an effort to welcome others into Jesus' life, you're right, and intentionally looking for guests, looking for people, and greeting them well is part of loving others the way that God has loved us. So we develop intentional ways to connect uh, others with our body. We have an assimilation process, like I mentioned earlier. We have a step-by-step process to welcome people into our body. You know, um, having clear processes to connect is a sign of love and stewardship. Jesus brought an undeniably clear way to connect to God, didn't he? Right? And clarity with others and among ministry and leadership teams helps for the gospel, the gospel to become the only stumbling block or hindrance to somebody and not our systems or our structures or how we do things. You know, somebody within the first five minutes makes the decision whether or not they're going to come back to a church. If they show up to that door and the greeter's texting and not looking at them and, and oh, is this where I go in? Yeah, you just go in. You know, that's not, that's not welcoming well, right? So greeters, put your phones away, right? It's a little thing can turn somebody off. We don't want them to be turned off by those things. If they stumble at all, we want them to stumble on the gospel, the message of Jesus, and that's it, right? So we develop clear on-ramps to practically serve and help one another. One of the things that we're developing right now is called the growth track. It's going to be four one-hour classes every day after church for like nine or ten months out of the year. I'm not sure how, how many months, I forget. But it, we'll probably start this in October. But the growth track is just four steps of assimilating people in, into the life of the church, right? It says the growth track will guide you to discover your redemptive purpose and live the life God created for you. These four one-hour, once-a-month steps will equip you to connect with the church, discover the strengths of your purposeful design, develop your personal leadership, and use your God-given gifts to make a difference in the lives of others. That's a good, good process, right? We're intentional about that. You know, the Bible is very, I mean, crystal clear, right? That we are to love the poor, that we are to love the widowed and the orphan in distress, to care for them. It's crystal clear. Nobody can deny it. If you do, well, we'll talk. But deacon ministry was formed in Acts chapter 6 because people who needed help were being overlooked. And one of the first recorded written lists of members in the church was... uh, 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 was for widows, right, the, of these people in need in 1 Timothy 5.9. We have, we announced them last week, a new deacon board for just that reason. I got three calls from homeless people last week. As we have clear processes for service to others, we get the double benefit of practically meeting others' needs and also activating members for ministry, Right? So we need to pay attention to opportunities to sacrificially and practically love people that God sends to us, right? To care for them well. We have an opportunity to join God in the building of his church, every single one of us. And paying attention to people promotes good in the world, doesn't it? Paul instructs the Ephesians church to pay attention to how you walk. Instructing that as we are wise, we counter the evil in the world through the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. 
watched another video last night. Daryl Davis, I think his name is, uh, African-American man who decided that he was going to go find out why the KKK hated him. He said, you know, they don't even know me. Why would, why would they hate me? So, <laughs> guy was amazing. But he welcomed the grand wizard of the KKK to a, a, a what do you call it? A hotel room. And he provided Coke and, you know, cold Cokes for him. And the guy showed up with an armed guard, and they sat and talked. And he shook his hand, and he cared well for him. End story is the guy left the KKK, and they're best buddies. Being nice, being welcoming makes a big difference, right? I didn't plan on saying all that, so I'm a little lost. As more people, though, are, are cared for or, you know, and, and uh, the, the body of Christ is sort of active, activated to serve. Faith starts to flourish. Love increases and thankfulness abounds, which then draws more people to Jesus and his church. Paying attention, attention to people increases God's household, increases the kingdom of God, right? As Jesus' good news is shared and, and people believe the gospel, they need healthy communities to thrive and grow in, right? Welcoming believers as fellow members of God's household grows the visible church into a spiritual house of worship to Jesus. People are hearing this worship out here, right? Seeing us at Bryn Mawr days, loving others, loving each other. And as we increase the household of God, his message is spread like the Ethiopian eunuch and more people find a place to call home. When we see guests and fellow believers as partners to build and grow God's church, you know, we become like Jesus and we expand like the influence of his body in the world. So we need to pay attention to people so that the church will grow and faith will flourish. I, um, one, I, this is an add-on, sorry, David. I um, wanted to give you two things that have come up on my radar to love the foreigner. And I'm not making any political statements, by the way. You can be on either side of the, the wall issue. Or, I don't care. I don't care where you are on it. I'm not making that statement. But my wife and I have decided that we needed to do something really practical to love people. And so we've decided to do transitional foster care. We'll probably get a couple kids in the next month or two. I'm not sure when they're, when they're going to come. But these are border kids. So instead of being detained at the border, they get to live at my house. And I got to learn Spanish, I think. <laughs> but it's a really practical way to love people. I may ask Bethany Christian Services, which we're doing this through, to come and do a presentation here in the next few months and maybe you would want to get involved with it. Maybe you would want to become a transitional foster care parent. Or maybe you would want to become a respite family, which is the people that we could leave the kids with, you know, when we go on vacation because we can't take them on vacation. They won't let us. Uh, we can't take them out of the state. You know, we're very, I mean, we have to be with them all the time. So you have to be trained to be a babysitter. They're like six hours of training and a certificate, you know, a background check and all that kind of stuff just to babysit these kids. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to have them come and give a presentation and possibly you would want to 
make that part of your ministry in life, to love some kids that really need to be loved, who gives a you-know-what about all the political nightmare out there. Use your kids. Just love on them, right? The second thing we're doing is that we are um, applying to do inter- have international students live in our house. Friends of mine do this, and Kim, now, Kim and I now have the room. We have three bedrooms on the top floor, and, and these are international students that come, and this is a Philadelphia Association of Christians ministering among internationals. And so we're going to apply to see if, if we can uh, have them come. Usually they are Saudis or, you know, wherever they're coming from, and, and they are Muslims or Hindus or whatever, and they get to live in a Christian home and have that relationship and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And it's beautiful, and that's one of the things that we're going to be doing. And maybe you want to do that. There are a bunch of these little flyers over there. So go ahead and take one. If, you need, if they run out and you need more, I'll make up more. But um, it's a really practical way to love the foreigner. I know what it's like to move to a foreign country and not know anybody and not know the language and all that kind of stuff. It is a nightmare. And so when you have a family that really latches on to you and cares for you, like the Sultan's family did for me in Lampung, it, is, it feels so good. Just feels so good. And it changes your mind about things, right? Um, lastly, I was given this book by, an, I haven't read it, so I can't endorse it. But I like the title and I like what it says on the back. So far, it's good, right? It says, Love over fear, facing monsters, befriending enemies, and healing our polarized world. Mm, sounds like a good read to me right now. Let me just read to you what it says. Whether it's the news, social media, or well-intentioned friends, we're told daily to fear others. We fear strangers, neighbors, the other side of the aisle, even those who parent differently. And when we're confronted with something that scares us, our brain sees only two options, attack and avoid, right? But either way, polarization intensifies. What if you could defy your own instincts and choose a third option? scandalous, disruptive, unthinkable love. Sure, we love people who are like us, who are easy to enjoy. Everyone does. But what about our enemies, the people we consider monsters? Loving them requires exceptional strength, strength only the Holy Spirit can provide. Love over fear is a compelling guide to conquering fear with love in an age of polarization hear stories of those who changed hearts and minds through radical love, learn how to practice disarming compassion, and discover the disruptive power of showing affection to monsters. Don't we all need that right now, right? I, uh, on my Facebook page, I posted the links to those two videos. I referenced the uh, Daryl Davis who infiltrated the, the KKK. He went to KKK rallies and befriended all these guys, and literally pulled the Grand Wizard out of the organization. Amen. I mean, the guy risked his life as a black man. He risked his, as they sat in that hotel room, uh, they had like ice in a bucket with all the sodas. And, you know, there's a guy there with a gun. And the, the ice shifted and made this noise. And they thought somebody was doing something. And they both jumped up. And they, they kind of went like this. And they realized it was just the ice. And they started laughing. It kind of broke the mood, right? And they started laughing. But that's how intense it was. People told him, don't go see that guy. He will kill you. He will kill you. 
He risked his life for the sake of love. I, I want to be that risky. I want to say, you know, I don't care. I want to go do that kind of stuff. That's pretty cool, right? So be prayerful starting right now, right? You know, who around you needs attention? Who around you needs discipleship? You know, talk to people in here. There are a lot of people in here that are hurting. And sometimes we say, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you, and we walk away. Do a follow-up call. Do a prayer right there. Minister to them. Encourage their hearts. Get together with them. Have lunch or have breakfast or, or have coffee or just call them, whatever. Minister to people. Feed them with the Word of God, right? Encourage their hearts. You remember your three people that I encourage you to be praying for through, you know, a few weeks back. Keep praying for those people. Keep influencing those people. And then expand that circle farther out, right? We got work to do. Wonderful, beautiful, passionate, dangerous, sometimes dangerous kingdom work. And it means being welcoming to anybody and everybody that comes across our path. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are the most welcoming of us. Like when we look at who you are and what you are, you embrace this world with open arms. You don't look, you know, you don't, you're not wishy-washy. You call us to a greater standard. You call us up and high up into those things that are beautiful and holy and pure and that are good for everybody, good for us, good for individuals, good for society, good for communities, good for the world, and honoring to your name. And we want to be really good at that. We want to be spiritually formed into your likeness. And we want that, that to pour out in love for each other and love for the community around us and love to the foreigner, those that are broken or feel dismissed or hurt. And we want to welcome them into your kingdom. Father, give us that passion and give us that direction. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.